Well, uh, next week, as I said to you, we're going to be starting a brand new series of messages called Taboo. This is a series where we're going to be talking about, from a biblical perspective, the things that we don't typically talk about. Now, over this last week, many of you have been going online to mygrace.church and giving me your ideas of what taboo topics you would like for me to share. I threw a bunch of the ones that you gave me in this last week into a wordle, so you can kind of see some of the topics that you guys have already been sharing with me. Uh, some of the biggest ones that I've been hearing from each one of you over this last week have been around topics of uh, sexuality and also the sanctity of life. So we'll be dealing with a lot of those topics over this summer, as well as several others that you might see there on the screen. But I want to encourage you over this next, <clears throat> this next week to continue to give me your ideas, your requests. You can go to the Messages tab at mygrace.church, and there's a little box there in the, at the top of the Messages page that says, My Taboo Question. And you can just kind of submit those there during the service or after the service during this week. And I'd be glad to be able to process through those with you and see how many of those we might be able to include in this series over this summer. Now, today we're going to be wrapping up this series on the book of Galatians, this, book, this series that we have called Decluttering Christianity. And through this series, my hope has been that you would come to see how unique the Christian faith really is, when it is uncluttered by all the expectations that other people might want to put on our faith. Our faith is a faith that is based not on created rules, but on a relationship with the Creator. It's a faith that you can never earn by what you do or what you don't do. And I hope that message is sunking clear into your heart. But it's a gift that Christ gives each one of us freely if we are willing to receive it. You know, when Jesus came, he instituted three things on earth. A new covenant, a new movement, and a new command. He instituted a new covenant, a new agreement between God and his people where God accepts us regardless of our sins, regardless of our past or our present. And he gives us limitless grace and an ability to walk in newness of life with him. He gives us a new, he's, Jesus gave us a new movement, one that was pretty phenomenal when you think about it, where no longer was God's love focused on one race or one nation, but it was opened up into the, to the entire world. No longer would God's temple be in a, God's dwelling be in a temple in Jerusalem, but in a temple of our own hearts as the Holy Spirit comes and lives in each one of us. Pretty profound. And Jesus lastly gave us a new command. He took the hundreds of commands that God's law on Mount Sinai provided his people and he condensed it down to one, right? And that command was love. Love God. And love each other unconditionally. Now this was a lot of change that the Jewish people had to process back in the day. And it felt like they were having to let go of a lot of their heritage and even their identity to embrace all that Christ was offering them. I mean that's why we have Galatians today. To understand our identity, our relationship with God that isn't found in customs, it isn't found in rules or anything else. Our identity is found in Christ, being made a new creation in Christ. Do you know what that means? Do you know what it means to be a new creation in Christ? Do you see yourself, if you are a follower of Jesus, as a new creation? Or do you kind of see yourself as the same person you've always been? I want us to unpack that a little bit this morning. Um, 
I t- I've told you in the past that I'm not much of a TV watcher, but lately I've been giving so many illustrations from that, you probably think I'm lying. Um, so I'm going to do it again. It, it, it's a typical preacher. And you, you can watch anything and you can find a sermon illustration in it. That's just how we're wired. You know? So there's this NBC series that some of you may have seen before. It's actually called The Blind Spot. Have any of you familiar with this series? It's a pretty interesting series. I started watching a little bit of it on, on Saturdays here in the last few months, uh, just kind of going through it on Hulu. And this is the premise of the show. The premise is that while the FBI is trying to unravel this really dangerous terrorist organization in the United States, one of the terrorists agrees to have her memory erased with this new experimental drug. And it make, so they make her unconscious, and while she's unconscious, they cover her body with tattoos so that she will strategically be put in the hands of the uh, New York branch of the FBI, which is what they wanted, because they wanted her to be a mole within the FBI. It's a pretty good plan, but there was one problem in their plan, and that was that they erased her memory. (laughs) So she had no real memory of being a terrorist anymore. She had no real memory of anything. She didn't know her name. She didn't know her family anymore. She didn't know anything about her past. Wiping her memories basically wiped out her identity. Now, the FBI doesn't know who this woman is. They, she doesn't know who she is. So they end up calling her Jane for, for Jane Doe. And uh, basically, they're, they're try, they're, Jane, through this first season, she's desperate to try to find her real identity, to know who she is. Because, I mean, she basically woke up, and all of a sudden, she doesn't know who she is or where she is or what's going on in her life. So someone on the FBI ran a DNA test and they thought that they had found a match. They thought that she was a woman by the name of Taylor. And so she takes on this identity as this woman named Taylor and she's trying to find out all about Taylor's life. And then a few episodes later, she realizes she's not Taylor. They find Taylor's body and they realize, oh, well, guess not Taylor. Don't know who you are, lady. Over time, though, she starts to bring back memories. Some of those memories that were wiped out start to slowly come back, and she starts to slowly realize that she was a terrorist set out to destroy the United States. She was this woman named Remy, and it repulses her. She's finding out, as she finds these things out, it brings out this struggle in her, and she keeps going back and forth between this old life that she's now starting to remember that she once had and this new life that she's trying to take on. This new life that's very much different from the way it used to be, where she's actually helping people instead of hurting people. And she's drawn to this new identity, but she's also drawn to this old one. And she keeps going through this struggle. Am I going to be Remy, the person I have now found out that I once was, or will I take on this new identity? Some of you might see where I'm going with this, right? It sounds a lot like what happens to each one of us when we accept Christ into our lives, right? We take on this brand new identity as a new creation. And that old identity, we talked about this last week, right? That old identity dies. It's gone, basically. Yet we can choose to return back to it at any time if we want to. In the last chapter of Galatians, which is where we're going to be today... Paul concludes his letter by saying something pretty interesting. This is what he says. And you can turn to Galatians 6 if you want to. He actually says this. He says, all that matters, all that matters is whether you are being made into a new creation, a new person in Christ, depending on which translation you're looking at. 
Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 15. Let me just read that whole section to you right now. This is what Paul writes at the end of this letter that he has written to the Galatians. It says this. It says, notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. So what you're seeing here is this last piece. This wasn't written by a scribe. This was written by Paul himself. And this is what he says. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so that they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in the world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Now, let me give you a little context here and what this, what, what this means. Um, it was common back in, back in that day, and it certainly was with Paul, to have a scribe or a secretary write out the letters that were dictated uh, by Paul. Um, they want people like Paul. They wanted to maximize the use of paper for one thing back then, which was at a premium in those days. So a scribe would have really good penmanship. They wouldn't tend to make as many mistakes, right? There wasn't any whiteout back then. There was no delete key. So you you messed up. You had to start over, and, and paper was costly. So scribes would write these things out. But Paul, and Paul would typically, what we know from this is that Paul would typically sign his letters when they were done as proof to the churches that they were sent to, that they were from his hand, even though they were from the hand of some scribe that he asked to help him. But in verse 11, he actually asked for the quill himself from the scribe to write out these final lines. He wanted to emphasize to, each, to them and to even us today this ending. And that's when he summarizes what's important. Isn't their identity as a Jew... And it isn't your identity as an American or whatever else that you tend to hold on to that makes up who you are. It isn't, your identity isn't even found in how good you are or how closely you follow God's law. He says what matters, what matters is who you are in Christ. And that's it. Paul teaches that God wants you to see yourself the way he sees you. As a new creation in Christ. Not the way that you might see yourself sometimes. When you're frustrated with yourself or discouraged. Not the way other people tend to see you at times. But the way he sees you. God talks about this guys throughout the pages of the Bible. We even see it in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament long before Jesus came. God told his people that this day would come. This day where through a new covenant God would make all of those who put their faith in Christ into new people from the inside out. This was a process that we talked about a few weeks ago that's called sanctification, right? Second Corinthians says that when you come to Christ, you are made into a new person. The old you, the sinful parts of you are destroyed as you take on this new identity that God gives you. Your purpose, 
your desires, your perspective in life all become, starts to become fresh and different because we start to see the world differently as a new creature in Christ. Galatians says that God takes this opportunity when we say yes to him to crucify that old part of us on the cross with Christ. In the book of Romans it says that God buries that life so that we can leave that old life, that old identity behind and we can walk in newness of life with Christ. Yet it also says in Galatians that that old you doesn't like to stay dead, right? It keeps popping back to life and we have to keep killing it off over and over again. In Colossians and in Ephesians, it says that you make the decision, each one of you, each day, to throw off that old you, if you choose to. To throw away that old you and to put on or to clothe yourself in the new you. It's, when, it's through that that we start to look like and we become more like Christ. When we clothe ourselves with this new nature, it helps us to see that we're who God says we are now and not the old person that we used to be. Let me give you an example. This whole idea of clothing ourselves in Christ is a lot like the clothes that you and I choose to wear every day. You go into the closet each day and you're making a decision. What am I going to wear today? Who am I going to be? What am I going to look like to everyone else today? Right? Your clothes have a lot to say about who you see yourself to be. Whether you decide to wear fashionable brand names or you don't care if it's just a Ross or a Walmart special. Right? Whether you want to wear tight clothes or baggy clothes. Whether you want them to be new and really well ironed or you don't care if they're old and wrinkled. Whether they're bright colors or they're dark. Black, right? Whether you wear slacks and dresses or you're fine in shorts and an old t-shirt. Even even the tattoos, the, the jewelry, the makeup that you wear, your hairstyle. It all speaks to how you see yourself and how you want the world to see you, right? If you think about it, Colossians and Ephesians says that God wants us to wear, to put on the attributes that make us look like God, not like the old us. Those those attributes that he calls us to wear are attributes like love and patience and humility. God wants us to see ourselves the way that he sees us now as new creatures, as new creations in Christ. That we wouldn't look in the mirror and see our old selves anymore, but we'd literally look in the mirror and see the person that God is making us become. So Paul, in chapter 6, he gives us three final important reminders. He breaks this out for us, this idea of becoming a new creation, in three basic concepts in chapter 6. And I'm just going to kind of walk these through with you real quickly if I can to help you see what they are and latch onto them. And you can study this on your own this week, uh, during, uh, during the week. Now, the opening verses of chapter 6 talk about bearing one another's burdens. It's part of our growth in Christ in this life. He says that we're not meant to live this life on our own. We're to bear each other's burdens. And he even talks about here that those burdens aren't just the physical struggles that come upon us, but they're the sins and temptations that we go through in this life as well. He says, you're not meant to bear those alone either. He says, if, if we start to isolate ourselves, if we start to stay to ourselves and allow ourselves to hold on to those things, they're going to only drag us down and make us into that old person again. But you are a new creation in Christ, and so he encourages us to not go it alone, but to do it, to live this life in community. 
And in those moments when we are tempted to, to not confront our brothers and sisters in Christ, when, we, when they're turning the wrong way, when they're walking away from this lifestyle that we know that they have chosen to make, God calls us to take a step forward and to not say, well, it's none of my business, but to say, you know what? I love you, and, and I know that you chose this life as a follower of Jesus. And what I'm seeing isn't in sync with that. So help me understand what's going on. You know, that seems so uncomfortable to us, right? We're like, oh, it's none of my business, right? Paul says it is. Not because they're a stranger, but because they're your brother and sister in Christ. And if you truly love them, if you truly care, you're going to walk that journey with them. You're going to roll up your sleeves and walk that journey with them even when it's hard. And you're going to hope that they do the same for you when you struggle and you stumble in your faith. Because that's what love looks like. So we can't grow to the extent that God intends by trying to keep our lives, our faith lives private or by seeing even our involvement in church as something that's optional or unnecessary. God says that we're not to underestimate the role that his imperfect church plays in helping, us make, helping each one of us become more like Christ. We grow, each one of us, when we let others in the body of Christ in to share our burdens and our struggles. Like it or not, a lack of transparency, a lack of openness stunts our faith at times in life. Which leads to the second thing that Paul points out to us in the middle of chapter 6. He talks about the fact that this process that we're on, this new life in Christ of becoming a new creation, it isn't quick either. In verses 6 through 10, he talks about this. And he says, some people don't put them, while some people don't put themselves in a place to grow over time, there are others of us who worry about it a little too much. We see all the brokenness, all the imperfections in our own lives, and we want to try to fix ourselves, right? We want to work really hard to try to change ourselves. And I was actually talking to someone just a few days ago who was in this place, and he was very frustrated. That He's like, I know I need to grow, but I'm not sure how, and I just don't feel like I'm going anywhere with my faith, and I need to figure out what to do. Notice here in verses 6 through 10, Paul says it's in the context of becoming a new creation that we are told to not get discouraged or to get frustrated with ourselves. God sees this process as a new creation, as one that takes a lifetime of faithfulness, of walking with Christ day by day by day. We saw this last week, right? It's, it's the four A's. It's those four things that we're to keep in our minds that slowly but surely continue to help us draw closer to Christ. That we, each day that we acknowledge that we're not in control, that we're not in the driver's seat, that Christ is, and that we trust that he is in control of our lives. We abide, we, we treasure our time with God each and every day. We put him in the center of our lives. We put him first and we are building that relationship with him. We're acting, we're responding when he asks us to respond. When, he, when he's pointing out areas of our lives that we need to repent or turn from, that we do so without hesitation not allowing those things to latch on to us. And lastly, that we appreciate, that we understand what God is doing in our lives and we show Christ the gratitude that we have in those things. Those are the ways, those four A's are the ways that we continue to grow in our faith walk with Christ each and every day. And if you're practicing these four things with intentionality every day, there's, you have no need to feel frustrated or discouraged with your walk with Christ ever. 
God has you right where he wants you. He has you right in the center of his will, and he's going to keep you there. Focus on him. He's got this in your life. The last thing I'll share with you that Paul says here in the end of chapter 6 is this. That this life that we're living, this life that you're living, it's not meant to be about you. It's not meant to revolve around you and what you want. In other words, your life isn't meant to be about pursuing everything that you selfishly want in this life. It can be, but it's not meant to be. It is, it's actually meant to be a surrender of your will by losing yourself in a sense so that you can find yourself as God wants you to be. The more we try to convince God of what we think is best for our lives and get in the way with our own agendas, the slower our process of growing actually becomes. Taking on this new identity and keeping the old one buried means a constant refocusing of our priorities. Paul realizes by this point in his life that all these things that he's chased after throughout his life, they mean so little. What matters, he says, is the cross. That, that place of surrender. That place of crucifying that old, self-centered part of himself in order to become new. In verse 14, notice, he says, At the cross, my infatuation with the things of this world dies. And I follow his lead. Verse 14 is actually a verse that a man who is now known today as the fittest man in history has tattooed on his side as a never-ending reminder of that. Take a look at this. Rich Froning has earned the title of fittest man in the world for four consecutive years. And he's the only competitor to ever accomplish that feat in the CrossFit Championships. But Rich will tell you his road to first started with a fall. Rich was raised in a large Catholic family and had 24 male cousins. In his family, competition was the name of the game. There's a lot of boys in that, that group there, so um, there's a lot of testosterone and uh, family get-togethers, and it was always a competition. Religion was also a part of his family's tradition. While Rich believed in God, he says it never felt personal. I knew my new religion from, from an early age. I prayed, prayed every night, but it was more of what can you give me, God, and, and uh, instead of what can I do for you. In college, Rich's love of sports and fitness led him to a degree in exercise science. In 2009, he discovered CrossFit. Yeah, it changed completely how I was working out. Um, you know, kind of went from the, you know, muscle groups to actually doing, you know, functional movements, lifting things off the ground, full uh, range of motion pull-ups, that type of stuff. Before long, Rich was hooked and decided to enter the CrossFit Open, a five-week, five-workout competition. In 2010, on his first attempt, Rich qualified for the national championships. We show up that first day at sectionals, and I was like, looking at some of these giant guys, I was like, there's no chance that I'm going to, you know, even qualify, um, end up winning my region, uh, and then went to the CrossFit Games. Goal there was to not get last place. But Rich continued to dominate at the national level. By the end of the weekend, with one event left, Rich was in first place. His last event was a rope climb. So I 
jumped up on the rope in the final event and uh, went to try to pull, and I was like, oh, this isn't good. So little, uh, my arms are shot. There's no, you know, don't know what I'm doing with the legs. Guys are just flying up and down the rope. The guy that's in second at the time, Graham Holmberg, is just climbing the rope like it's nothing. Climbed the rope one time, hit the crossbar, started coming down, and then fell from the top. His fall came as a crushing blow to his first place standing and his identity. Although he finished second overall, Rich left the games feeling defeated. I'd made CrossFit uh, an idol. You know, it was, uh, I'd let it define who I was as a person and, and put my self-worth into uh, CrossFit. I didn't enjoy what I used to love to, to do is work out. I hated it. Looking for hope, Rich joined a Bible study called CrossFit Faith. After meeting one night, one of the members challenged his beliefs. And we were riding home in the car, and he asked me a question. He said, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And I was like, of course I would. You know, I, you know I've believed in, in God my whole life. And then I started really thinking about it, and I was like, am I living like, you know, the way I, the stuff I'm reading, am I living like, you know, we're called to live and put Christ first and, and to live for Christ? Maybe I'm not, you know, living like I'm supposed to. Rich started studying the Bible, and in May 2010, he rededicated his life to Jesus Christ and was baptized. Everything that I was reading, uh, reading the New Testament was just, everything was applicable to, you know, daily life. Trials and, and stuff I was going through, it, everything matched up. It was like, you know, the living word. You know, we talk about, you know, the Bible's living. And, and it was cool to see that, that for the first time instead of just reading words on a page. Rich says immediately all of his priorities changed. My priorities went from, uh, you know, what, what can God do for me to what can I do for, for him? How can I change people's lives? How can I lead people um, to him? In 2011, 12, 13, and 14, Rich entered the games again and walked away a champion of the CrossFit Games and a champion of the faith. He has written about his journey in an autobiography called First. Galatians 6.14 is, May I never boast in anything except for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, which has been crucified to me and I to the world. And that's, um, you know, it's... It's whatever I do means nothing. It, it, it's, you know, it's not about me. The CrossFit Games, the four, um, you know, four-time fittest man on earth, isn't about me. It's about him and the talents that I've been given, and, and it's my way to glorify him through what I do. So, what started out in the Galatian churches a long time ago is this attempt to be good Christian people, to make themselves pleasing and acceptable to God. We've seen through, Christ, through decluttering Christianity over these last few weeks that it was actually a meaningless and even dangerous attempt to somehow earn God's flavor, a, a task which is unattainable. Yet Paul reminds them here at the end, and he reminds us, as this is scripture to all of us, by saying that what matters most isn't what we do in this life to please God, but who we become because we're pleasing to him. The big difference. Because Christ fulfilled all these expectations that we could never fulfill on our own. We have the opportunity to come alongside Christ and shake off our old sinful selves. And take on a new identity as new creatures, new creations in Christ. Don't underestimate what God can do through you as a new creation in Him. When our pursuit is on being this new creation, we discover what matters most in this life. Our lives fall in line with the destiny God has for each one of us. 
If you are a Christian here today, please hear me. If you hear nothing else today, please hear me. God doesn't want you to see yourself one more day the way you used to be. He's done with that old you. He was done with it the moment you said yes to him. He doesn't want you to see yourself the way you once did. He doesn't want you to see yourself even the way other people see you sometimes. He only wants you to see yourself the way he sees you. And when he looks at you, he doesn't see the old you. And his mind is dead and gone. He sees you as a new creation formed in his likeness and in his image to be able to proclaim to the world the message of love. He wants you to see yourself the way he sees you, someone who's transformed into a new person and someone who's being transformed every day as you lay down your will, your desires, and your life to the one who loves you completely. So may you see yourself the way God sees you, as a totally new creation, for that is who you are. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we think back on these last few weeks and the walk we've had through Galatians, Lord, we've learned so much. We've learned that, that only Christ matters in this life, that none of our own uh, uh, obedience to the law or trying to be good, trying to avoid bad things really means anything. None of the efforts that we can try to attain on our own in this life mean much of anything. They'll soon be forgotten and gone after we're gone. But Lord, you reminded us at the end of this book of what really matters. And what really matters is that we see ourselves how you see us. That through this sanctification process you have us on, this process of becoming more and more like Christ, of shaking off that old dead us and allowing ourselves to see the new creation, Lord, we become more of a reflection of you and who you've always wanted us to be. Lord, forgive us for those times when we tend to pick up the old us, the old dead us. We tend to put, want to put on those old dead clothes that we once wore that remind us of who we once were, so to speak. Those old behaviors, those old patterns, those old places of comfort that we would find that tried to bring us consolation through pain or frustration or stress or discouragement. Lord, I pray that each and every day as we walk in front of a mirror that when we would see ourselves we would no longer see what we're expecting to see. That we wouldn't see the old us with all the imperfections but we would see who you've created us to be in you. Help us, Lord, to throw off that old person and to clothe ourselves with the new each and every day. If you're here today and you have struggled with that, if you struggle with just letting go of your past, letting go of those things that constantly want to drag you down, God would say to you this morning that today is the day, no kidding, that you can just totally walk away from those things. They no longer have to have a grip on you. They no longer have to call the shots in your life. You can make that choice today to be free, to walk away from all that stuff. 
as you accept Christ fully into your heart and life. As you trust Him with everything. Even the painful and dark parts of yourself. Maybe today is the day that you just need to recommit your life, your heart to Christ. And to trust Him with everything and not just part of you. Maybe today for you it's saying yes to Him for the first time because you've never made such a decision. But you're starting to feel that making that decision might really change a lot in your life for the good, for the better. And on top of it, it might help you to come to know your Creator the way you should have all along. If that's you, I would encourage you to pray this prayer with me in the silence of your heart today. Heavenly Father, we come to you today out of our own senses of brokenness. Lord, so oftentimes when we see ourselves, we only see the lack. We see what's missing. We see what's broken. We see what's unpleasing. We see the dark parts of ourselves, the parts that we seem to struggle getting a grip on. Lord, forgive us for those times when we have seen ourselves in that light and haven't seen ourselves the way you hope for us to see ourselves. God, I pray that you would come in to our lives today and fill us with your spirit as we confess that you are our Savior and our God who gave everything on a cross, as Galatians 6 says, so that we could have life, a new life, and be a new creation. God, I ask that you would come into each one of our hearts and begin to change us from the inside out. Sanctify us, God. Make us into the people, the men and women that you've called us to be all along. Help us every time those, that old part of us wakes up to shake it off and to walk away. Help us, Lord, to experience the life that you have called us to live, a life of adventure and purpose and meaning and love. In Christ's name, amen.